Great to see you all here tonight. Uh, my name is Daryl. I'm one of the pastors here. And a special welcome if you're visiting us tonight. Uh, please keep your Bibles open to uh, page 1613 in the uh, Blue Church Bibles if you've accidentally closed them. And uh, please remember there'll be time for questions after the talk. Well, before we get into tonight's passage, will you please join me as I pray? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for giving us your word so that we can understand your agenda for the world. Heavenly Father, please help me now to speak clearly from your word tonight. And we pray that you'll grow our vision for your kingdom and our involvement in it. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may or may not know this about me, but um, I'm a tragic Parramatta Eels supporter. Yes, it is true, because the reason is I'm born in Vidalmere, and so my mum followed the Eels, and so I followed the Eels. Now, I followed them during the time of the NRL greats like Ray Price, Peter Sterling, Brett Kenny. That's during the 1980s. But during that decade, they won four premierships. But that last premiership was 1986. That's 33 years ago. And I know some of you here, that's, that's, you weren't even born yet when Parramatta won. And can I say since then, the journey for a Parramatta fan has had its ups and downs. And I would say has more downs than ups. Uh, just for you, so that you know, in the history of the game, Parramatta is ranked second of all time of getting the wooden spoon. They've, got, they've come last in the competition 14 times. Uh, the recent one being last year. Can I ask, besides me, is there any other Parramatta fan, fans or anyone who's brave enough to admit? Yeah, I had a feeling that was the case. There was two people at morning church, can I say. That was quite a delight to me. But anyway, I will say this. There have been times when I have felt that I've barracked for the wrong team, that I'm barracking for a lost cause, where the journey has been littered with disappointments, where I have seen little progress. And at times I don't feel like I'm on the winning side. Uh, this year I'm going to be up front, we're, we're actually doing okay, but I can't say with any confidence that we can win it all. You know, sometimes being a Christian feels like being a Parramatta supporter, where the cause of Christ doesn't seem to be winning at the moment, where the journey has been littered with disappointment, where little progress has been made. Have you ever felt like that before? Well, tonight we're going to see Jesus commissioning a group of his disciples for the cause of growing his kingdom. And we'll be reminded that the advance of God's kingdom is unstoppable. And when we fully understand the mission that God is calling us to, we're going to see that we're actually on the winning side. Uh, tonight we're going to see three things. We're firstly going to see the messengers of God's kingdom. Then secondly, the message of God's kingdom. And then thirdly, the joy of God's kingdom. 
Uh, but first, some context of where we are in the book. Uh, last week, we saw that Jesus has set his face towards Jerusalem as he starts a journey from the area of Galilee all the way to Jerusalem, a place where he will ultimately be betrayed, crucified, and resurrected. And he will do that for our salvation. Now, early in chapter 9, Jesus had previously sent his original 12 disciples to cast out demons, to heal diseases, and to preach about the kingdom of God. And so as we come to verse 1 of our passage, well, Jesus is sending 72 of his disciples to do the same thing that the original 12 did. Now, as far as we know, these 72, they didn't hold any spiritual leadership position, not like the original 12. These 72, they were ordinary Christians. But like the original 12, they too were called to be messengers. They too were to go out and preach the gospel. And so what we see here is that the task of sharing and preaching the gospel is for all Christians, not just those who are in spiritual leadership. All of us have been called to be involved in this work that we call evangelism. Now in verse 2, Jesus said to the 72 that the harvest is plentiful. That's to say that there's a large field of people wanting to trust in Jesus, wanting to enter the kingdom. It was true back then, and it's actually true now. According to God's sovereign plan, people all over the world, and in our community here as well, are predestined to come to know Jesus. And because that's the case... Well, we'll always have opportunities to share the good news of Jesus with the people that we know. And so Jesus is calling us tonight to take his perspective of the harvest, to believe that the fields are white and ready, even in dark places, places where it's dominated by Islam, places where it's dominated by a paranoid dictator, places where even here in our own backyard, where our society is becoming, or seemingly becoming, more hostile to Christian thinking. And from what we've seen in the news recently, from the debate over uh, religious education to the abortion bill now, uh, it can seem like we're living in a society that wants nothing to do with Jesus. But if the federation, can I say, if the federal election is anything to go by, well, it reminds us that there is a silent majority and that there are people there, out there, who are willing to give the gospel a hearing. We need to be mindful of Jesus' words here regarding how ready the harvest is for us, despite the noise that we hear. Now, even though the harvest is plentiful, there is a problem. 
the plenty of the harvest is inversely proportional to the number of harvesters. In verse 2, Jesus said, The workers are few. There are not as many people who are willing to do the hard work of sowing the seeds of the gospel. And so we're not nearly as fruitful in our evangelism as we ought to be. Nor do we have nearly as many overseas missionaries as we need. According to the Global Frontier Missions Organization, they report that 29% of our world's population live in countries that even haven't heard the word Jesus. And these are places where there are no Bibles, no churches, no Christians nearby. And in reaching this 29%, the Global Frontier Missions Organization, they estimate that 3% of our global missionary workforce goes to these types of countries. The workers for the global harvest is indeed few. And where will we get those gospel workers that we need? Well, the answer is not better recruitment, although that is important. The answer is not necessarily better conferences, although God can use conferences to prompt people to be involved in this work. No, the answer is prayer. Persistent prayer. Prayer for God himself to raise up new workers for the great harvest. Uh, The second half of verse 2 says this. Verse 2, Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. You see, prayer has the priority. And even as the 72 went out to preach, they were still to pray. Because prayer was a key part of what they're to do. And so for us, where to pray to God? Because notice in verse 2, Jesus is the Lord of the harvest. He's the one who's in control of the harvest. He alone is able to supply the need. So we must pray. Asking the Lord of the harvest to provide for evangelists, Bible translators, church planters, and other Christian workers to reach the unreached around the world. And as we pray, we're to be willing to be part of the answer of our own prayers, that we too will go and labor in his gospel field, whether it be right here where we are or wherever he may send us. Is praying for more gospel workers for God's harvest. Is that something you regularly pray for? Now in verse 4, Jesus gives specific instructions to not bring a purse or a bag or even an extra pair of shoes. Now we need to recognize that these instructions, they're unique to that time and place where Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. 
Because in chapter 22, later on, Jesus will tell his disciples to make sure they do have their bag, to make sure they do have their purse, and to make sure they even have a sword. But the reason for him telling the 72 now not to bring anything, well, Jesus wants them to trust in God that he will provide for their needs as they serve him. And their trust was well served and well placed as God did provide for them who did uh, as they did their work. Now these instructions, they actually have a wider application for us. That for gospel workers, but for any Christian for that matter, there's a necessity for us to live simplistically and unworldly. That our attitude to material possessions is to be guided by the urgency of the mission that God has given us. And so we need to be aware that we're not to be thinking too much about our meals or our furniture or our houses. We're to maintain a deep and steady contentment with what God provides. Which involves being thankful for everything we have. Not always pining for luxury. It means being easily pleased and grateful for what we have. We now come to the second point, where Jesus starts talking about the message that he wants his messengers to give. And his basic message is in verse 9. After healing the sick, they're to tell people, you can see in verse 9, the kingdom of God has come near to you. Basically, the message is that God's righteous rule through the person of Jesus Christ is coming. And that it's through Jesus salvation will be made possible. Now, notice that Jesus gave the 72 power to perform miracles so that they could minister to the body as well as to the soul. Now, this was an immediate blessing to everyone who was touched by their ministry. But he also had a further purpose. And that purpose is, those miracles, they confirmed the truth of their message. Now, confirming the ministry of the word through deeds is actually still very important today. But whether it's through miracles or not, that's not the main issue here. The the main issue is that the church is called to demonstrate God's love through practical deeds, which makes gospel community uh, makes makes it uh, effective gospel communication. It's essential for the gospel to commun- be communicated effectively. So, how do people experience the reality of, king- of the kingdom of God? Well, back in those days, they, they experienced it through the message of the gospel and confirmed by miracles of healing. But today. People experience the kingdom of God through preaching the same gospel, but also confirmed by the loving care of the people who preach it. You see, it's the gospel message that saves people. But God uses the loving care of Christians to give the gospel an entrance into people's hearts. This is how God wants wants to bring people to Christ. That by the good news that we give them about the death and resurrection of Jesus, but it's also in the love that we show. 
You may or may not know, but that's actually why we have what we call meals ministry here in our church family. And we have one of the fridges that's in the back hall there stocked up with frozen meals so that we can exercise practical love to those who need it, whether it's in our own church family or outside our church family. And can I say, if you want to be part of that ministry, please chat to myself or Amy Kern from Morning Church. But can I say, that's just one of many ways that we can exercise practical compassion as we showcase the gospel. And that can be from just helping someone move house to actually helping them financially. But I reckon us as a church family, this is a space where we can do more thinking about. So let me remind you where we are with our revisioning process of developing a 2020 strategic plan for our church family for the next three to five years. As we look to grow God's kingdom and as we look to start new initiatives that will help us do our mission better. You may remember that we started this process with the vision war and the comment groups at our family camp back in April. And right now, where we are right now, we're at the staff stage where, uh, you'll see the steps, but we're in the first green box there, where the staff is doing up a draft of that plan. And there's a couple more steps until we get to Vision Sunday uh, in October. Where in October, which is that, or- that bottom o- uh, orange box, that's where the elders will present a draft plan, a 2020 strategic plan, to you for your feedback and comment as we look at and one of the things amongst many things we want to look at what deeds of mercy what ministries can we be involved that will confirm the truth of the gospel that we believe so can I just say watch this space but can I say if there's some ideas of deeds of ministry or uh, of mercy that you may want the elders to consider Okay, I encourage you to write it down, put it on the comment cards, or chat to one of the elders or one of the staff, or wait till Vision Sunday in October. Now, the other part of the message that the messengers were to give was a warning. A warning to the cities that they were going to visit. And from verses 12 to 15, Jesus makes a, a sobering and a very surprising comparison to the cities of the Galilean area and to the wicked Gentile cities of Sodom, Sidon, and Tyre. Uh, please read verses 12 to 14 with me. Verse 12 says this. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it would be more bearable for Tyre and Sidon at the judgment than for you. You see, those Galilean cities have seen Jesus in the flesh. They've witnessed Jesus' divine power. They heard uh, Jesus' words of salvation. They had every opportunity to trust in Jesus. Nevertheless, they remain unrepentant. But by making the comparison to these Gentile cities, cities that were very wicked, cities that incurred God's judgment, Jesus is making the point 
that these Galilean cities are going to incur an even harsher judgment because they were given much more opportunity to respond. Yet they rejected it. The principle that we see here is this. God holds everyone accountable for whatever they know about Jesus. The greater the opportunity, the greater the responsibility. Once someone has heard that salvation comes solely through Jesus, they can never claim ignorance again. There are no excuses. So if you're here and you haven't responded yet to the good news of Jesus, if you're here and you haven't put your trust in Jesus as your King and Saviour, then please don't be like those Galilean cities. Please don't push Jesus away. Jesus is offering to you to be part of the kingdom, to experience the forgiveness of sin, to share in eternal life forever with him. And all you have to do is say yes to Jesus. If you want to find out more, please chat to myself or Carmen after church tonight. We come to our third point, where we see the joy of God's kingdom. As the 72 came back from their missionary journey, and they come back elated with joy. Uh, Please read verse 17 with me. Verse 17 says this. The 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. Uh, What the 72 had experienced is victory over the evil forces of Satan. And that's a part and parcel of the coming of God's kingdom. As the rule of God through Jesus has begun. Uh, Jesus goes on to explain what's happening for the 72. Uh, Please read verses 18 and 19 with me. Verse 18 says this. He replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. Jesus is saying in very definite terms that Satan has been defeated. Satan's power over this world is now broken and he's accumulating the losses. And Jesus is making it really clear. Those who trust in Jesus don't live under Satan's thumb anymore. And so too, we can have victories over Satan. Every time a person comes to faith in Jesus, every time we bring our secret sins to the foot of the cross, every time when we stand firm against the temptation to uh, lust after life's pleasures or to be bitter by life's disappointments or to do anything that's contrary to God's will for our lives. And you know what? Satan can never do us ultimate harm. Now we may suffer hardships or even death like the apostles, but nothing can ever separate us from the love that God has for us in Christ. And because of that, we should never believe, even for a moment, the devil's lie that we are powerless against him. Because it's actually 
the other way around. But notice the victory of Satan and his forces. It wasn't the big thing for the 72 to rejoice about. Uh, Please check out verse 20. Verse 20 says this. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Uh, Despite the joy that the 72 had regarding their triumph over Satan, Jesus told them there's something else that will give them even greater joy. And that's the promise of eternal life. It's that joy where you know for sure that God knows you, that God will remember that you belong to him. It's that joy where the right of all the privileges of heaven is actually yours now, even before you get there. It's the joy that God gives you his own personal guarantee that you have eternal life. So being a messenger for Jesus, it's one of joy. Not only through, because of what he does through us as we trample over Satan and his demonic forces, but the permanent joy, the everlasting joy of our names written in heaven. I started tonight telling you of my allegiance as a Parramatta fan. And can I say, uh, for me to persuade you, for me to convince you to follow my team, uh, let's be frank here. Given Parramatta's track record, I don't have a leg to stand on. But when it comes to the much bigger team to be part of, the kingdom of God, now that's a totally different ballgame. As you've seen tonight, God's kingdom is coming near and it's worth being part of because it is the winning side. Ultimate victory is assured. We know what's going to happen in the end. And we've seen tonight, we all have a part to play as a worker in God's harvest. Wherever God places us, God wants us to do four things. To share the gospel, to pray for the harvest, to exercise practical compassion, and to experience joy. And in sharing the gospel, that might even come in the form of just inviting someone to our Invitation Sunday later this month. People are dying and going to either heaven or hell. And that's happening every day. With the message that you've received from Jesus, what will you do do with it this week? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we praise you that we are on the winning side. That because of what the death and resurrection of Jesus has achieved for us, we thank you that we have a victory over our sin, over death and over the devil. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can have real and everlasting joy because of Jesus. And we pray that in light of what we've seen from your word tonight, we pray that you will raise up more workers as we know the harvest is plentiful. And we pray that you may speak to each one of us 
of how we can be involved in the mission of growing your kingdom, whatever that may be. Heavenly Father, we pray and confess firstly those times when we shy away from the opportunities that you give us to share about you. And so we pray that you'll keep changing us. We pray that you give us the courage. We pray that you'll give us the boldness and the words to say to be your messengers wherever you place us. Please use us as we live for your kingdom. And we pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.